Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning, good evening, wherever it may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you are listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 456. My name is Eric Nilsson, and with me I have a special guest today again, Kripa. Kripa, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Great, great. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Uh, John had a, an important executive meeting that he had to, to do, so I don't think we're going to get a color of the bay, but if I were to predict what a color of the bay is, I would say that it is probably light blue because it's been really warm. We've had a high-pressure system float into California now. We're going to be in drought land here if we don't get some rain one of these months, um, but it is beautiful weather in California, and so I'm very, very, very happy to, to be here in California. But we won't be here for long because uh, we will be traveling to Barcelona come Friday uh, for VMworld Europe, so very, very excited about that. Uh, on the show today, we have uh, Bosky Savla. Savla? Yep. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, she's in the studio today too. So hi everybody out on uh, out on Facebook. Thanks for for watching as always. Uh, we're live streaming on Facebook and we're audioing on talk show as always. So um, today we're going to be talking to Bosky about uh, Service Mesh. So she's a product uh, product line manager for uh, cloud native apps here at VMware. So we'll get to Bosky in a little bit. Uh, but before we do that, we'll just touch base on some news. I have some items. I don't know if you have any. Kripa, but uh, I, don't. I, I know you're going to tell us a little bit about the hackathon, right? Oh, you can yes. Give us, give us that, that, that one. We're excited about uh, what's going to be happening in, in Europe as we head over there. Uh, but uh, news. So uh, I thought there was a couple of worthy news items that I would like to touch base on. One is uh, Red Hat and IBM. So um, IBM, obviously, unless you've been in a closet, you've heard that uh, IBM has bought Red Hat. Uh, I think that's an interesting move, and the reason I'm bringing up on news is that I just want to give you my opinion, uh, which I have been saying all along that you know the hybrid the hybrid data center is here, hybrid cloud is here. You have hybridity going around, and some of the big players now have to readjust what it means to be in the computer business, right? Be in the software business, be in the data center business, uh, and if you're in the data data center consulting business, you better have some software to, to be consulting on top of, right? Because uh, consulting around hardware and infrastructure buyout, that's build out, that's, 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 that's going to go away, folks, or it's starting to go away for, it's, it's going to be declining. So if you're an IBM where a lot of your revenue is coming from running big data centers, um, then you know, I think that's one of the things that's going to, you know, you know, downward trend. What's upward trending is obviously, you know, big data centers. So uh, I listened to Larry Ellison talk a little bit about it, right? And he's like, yeah, look, you know, there's a lot of money to be made. All of the cloud businesses, you know, when you go on Amazon or you go on Azure, they're going to be running on Oracle databases, right? Okay. So even Larry Ellison is kind of like, hey, we're going to be, um, we're going to be, supporting our software in the clouds, in hybrid clouds, everywhere. And I think IBM was sitting outside going, hey, we've been making all this money helping people build data centers and operate 
data centers. Um, but we don't have any big brand software here, and we work with them. You know, they 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 support VMware and VMware's products. But as we go into cloud, what's their value? So them buying Red Hat is basically you know validating the strategy that you need to have software, and software can be run anywhere and bought anywhere, and the apps that run on top of that can be bought anywhere, run anywhere, which is kind of where VMware has been going when we talk about cloud native, when we talk about hybrid cloud, where we talk about uh, multi-cloud environments, uh, our software can be purchased and run uh, in a multi-cloud environment. That's where the industry is going. Uh, welcome to the world. Hey, IBM. I think it was a brilliant purchase, personally. I think uh, anybody that can come in and you've got enough money to pay $34 billion for something like Red Hat, um, that was a smart move because it makes you relevant in a multi-cloud environment, and they really didn't have much to offer there uh, with their guys in white shirts and suits. So uh, excited about that. Um, and I, I, know, I know that uh, everybody, I've got friends that work at Red Hat, so uh, welcome to IBM. But I think it, it's, uh, it's all about uh, services and applications running anywhere, and uh, IBM has now a piece of that business. So uh, good for them, good move. Um, Right, with that one, uh, I'll, I'll talk about uh, dark, uh, dark mode on Apple. I, I got to give uh, Apple credit. I finally got to an Apple store. I've been avoiding their new OSs like the plague. I uh, haven't liked anything they've done in probably five or six years. But they finally have now dark mode in their latest OS, which I finally got to look at. And like, thank God I can actually use that operating system again because it doesn't blind me looking at it. So I know I've complained on podcasts before about dark mode and uh, and I was go wondering what OS I was going to go to was I going to you know go to Windows and Linux and I actually have a Windows box now I've been using so uh, now that I've seen dark mode again I might I might end up back uh, back in the Apple camp yet again so uh, thought I would just share that with everybody um, and then last but not least um, Raspberry Pis, I tweeted out that we've got sensors. Uh, we're going to be uh, at VMworld Europe. We have everybody that's got makerspace. We've, had, we've asked for people to send me uh, their email address. We're pre-provisioning them on Wavefront. If you're interested in Wavefront and you'd like to be provisioned for a free Wavefront account, uh, you can send me mail, enielsen, E-N-I-E-L-S-E-N, at VMware.com, and I will put you on a spreadsheet that we're uh, inviting people to Wavefront, free Wavefront trials to be able to do the Makerspace Labs. So I've gotten about 30 or 40 people to send me in their email addresses, and uh, we're making accounts. Everybody should have got their Wavefront accounts pre-populated. Uh, if you're going to be in Europe or you just want to use Wavefront, uh, you can send me that. We'll get you on that list. You'll get a Wavefront account. And then we are doing Raspberry Pis at uh, the Makerspace uh, tables again. Those are, I believe, sold out. We'll have uh, some, some drop-in capability uh, for the lab. So if you're interested in uh, configuring uh, uh, Leota on Raspberry Pis as well as uh, connecting sensors, we have the barometric pressure sensors that are going to be there. We'll pull that data in and then uh, upload that to AWS uh, Wavefront, and then you can visualize that. So those labs are going. Thank you for everybody that sent in their email addresses. Um, I've added you. You should have gotten your, your invites to that today. Uh, my concern is that we have 100 and some plus people on the labs, and uh, I've only had about 40 or 35, 40 email addresses. So there's going to be another 50 people that are going to have to do that on site. Uh, I understand that. We'll, we'll be ready for that. But if you can send it early, uh, Bill, Bill Roth will get you set up on that account. So uh, looking forward to that. 
Um, and then uh, look at my Twitter if you want to see some of the sensors. We are going to be also at AWS. Uh, we got the booth signed. We got the booth built out. Um, uh, v Brown Bag's going to be there. We've got uh, community sessions. Uh, we have a couple slots left for community sessions uh, that we can slot you in if you're going to be at AWS reInvent. We're going to be at the Aria, Aria, Aria Hotel in the Makerspace. Got a nice looking booth coming together. I think we have like 40 plus sessions that are going to be happening. And we, I started ordering the super cool sensors. Uh, we've been getting those in. Um, there are really, really neat sensors. Uh, you know, motion sensors to uh, audio uh, bounce out audio, get audio back in. So a lot of work on the sensor stuff we've been building out. I think we'll have a couple thousand sensors to give away. Uh, maybe 300 of each type, and we'll have 10 different types, so two or 3,000 sensors, depending on you know how well Amazon delivers them to us in various <laughs> various states. Some pins are soldered, some aren't, so we're putting that all together. Should be fun at AWS reInvent at the end of November in Vegas. If you're going to be there, you definitely want to come by, say hello to us. Uh, Alistair Cook's going to be there. We're going to have community sessions. We're going to have code sessions, power sessions, like 40 or 50 sessions with makerspace tables, and we do definitely have the coffee bar again at AWS, so that should be fun. I think that's all I got for the news, unless uh, anybody else. Corey, I know they were talking about uh, the experts soon, but we're not ready to make the announcement of when that's going to be, uh, but uh, we, we'll get that going. The VExpert party, I think, is sold out, so we'll be there for the VExpert party. I'm just ticking through things. The hackathon, do you want to mention about the hackathon before we get yeah, to sure. Bosky, our guest? Well, Bosky is actually one of our judges for the hackathon, so if you're looking for someone to bribe, <laughs> she's right here. And there you go. Right. But hackathon is completely full on registration. I think about half the people are signed up on Hacker Earth. So if you haven't done that yet, there's a lot of people that have put in awesome ideas for projects and are looking for people to join their team. So there's a bunch of options out there. So just definitely look at Hacker Earth and sign up for a team. But I know that we uh, ordered some uh, some prizes, Raspberry Pis, code 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 jackets, and some other you don't stuff. Give right? it all away. Yeah, give it all away. So we will have prizes, and we're dual tracking the prizes from the yeah. people that work 30 days ahead of time versus the people that just show up. So we'll kind of do a, a blend of the hackathon, uh, yeah. and I get that. So uh, that was the feedback we got from the U.S. hackathon. Uh, we did do a file for tickets, uh, file file paperwork to see if we can get some executives there. Yeah, we so did. Possibly so we'll have to... some executives to come hang out. I know Ray Farrell came last year, so uh, we have done that submission, see if we get some people there. Uh, and I think I saw on the, on the, uh, the purchase order that I signed that there were going to be some going to be some transportation. Yeah, they're they're picking everyone up from the Fear Grand at 6:30, and so we'll be at the venue at seven, and they're going to drop off at midnight at Plaza Catalunya and Plaza España. So there's two different drop-off points based on wherever you're staying. Right. So. Excellent. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah, and I gotta say, Kripa, uh, I didn't agree to pay for that, but I saw it got snuck in there, and so I signed it anyway, begrudgingly. Going, I'm You're buying, I'm buying, I'm buying buses yet again, right? <laughs> uh, which is which is it's nice because the taxi lines at the Fura is like miserable. So the reason that you get buses is nobody has to wait in time. Oh, some news I found out today that Uber is running in Barcelona again. Oh, and, nice. Uh, you can set up, if you have a corporate card, you can set it up to Business Uber. They have it on source for VMware, and it automatically sends your expenses to Concur. So if you're going to Barcelona and you want to yeah. so one, help one more tip there, there's, not, there's another local app called MyTaxi. If you cool. want to get around like Uber style within Barcelona, that's a good app. 
Uh, the only challenge would be if you can speak Spanish. I mean, a lot of the communication, like where am I, where are you, versus you know. So, but it's well, a good app. It worked for me last week and last year and the year before that. So good to know because I'm kind of far from. I'm close to the convention center, but far from the center. So I think my Spanish is okay. So we'll see how I fare. All right. All right. Uh, any other news? Uh, like we got Hackathon, uh, the VExpert party, as is at a bar, no buses for that one. So you're going to have to get there. Uh, Pat declined, so sorry. It'll just be us and the food and the alcohol. Uh, but I think we'll have a good time with that. Like uh, time. Our team will be there. Uh, Corey is not going to make it, so it'll, it'll, it'll be me and you and everybody listening. If you're going to be there, it should be a good party there. Uh, I haven't heard who the guest is. I don't know if we've talked about who the who the band or guest is for the party it's on the, Wednesday. It's the Cooks. Is it the Cooks? Like K-O-O-K-S. All right. I don't know. I think right. they're performing. We're not allowed to put that on social, so please don't get it, put it on social. I get yelled at if you, if you put it out on social. But we're talking about it here, so that should be good. Uh, yeah, and so should be, it should be good. We're going to be there on Sunday, and I know that the place and the community booth will be open on Monday. Yep. Uh, so uh, we'll be hanging out there. I don't think all services, I don't think we're running the Makerspace sessions until Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, but, uh, we'll, but we will be in the booth on Monday hanging out. And uh, so the blogger tables will be open. And I don't think V Brown Bag starts and the power sessions start till, till Tuesday as well. Yeah. But, but the booth will be open and we'll be there. So that's, that's it. Uh, we'll move on and we're, we get to talk about the main subject for today, which is service mesh uh, with uh, Bosky. So Bosky, we always do this. So when you're on the show, tell us a little bit about how you ended up here. Where'd you go to university? Anything you want to tell us about yourself, we'll transition to the, what do you do at VMware and then we'll get into the topic. Sure. So uh, I'll start from the beginning. I was actually an engineering major in computer science. Yay. Telecom, and I started off as a Linux system admin. So, As I did, nice. Uh, a lot of Linux systems. Thoroughly, uh, got involved a lot into open source right off the career. Like I had my first boss who was so crazy about open source and Linux, and I kind of got that from him a lot. And uh, then I moved on to doing um, kind of system engineering. Plus, um, I worked with EMC for their storage elements. Then came to VMware from there. Uh, to work on virtualization. I was initially part of the group that did, um, you know, kind of the P2 versions back then in like 2011. Um, worked there a couple of years and then um, I think moved to Kubernetes and general cloud native applications uh, a year now. Um, just trying to, you know, blend everything like all the way from infrastructure, Linux, storage, virtualization. Yeah, yeah, it, it is amazing that we've we've gone from that, that same journey up through administration to then all the way up into abstracting abstracting the app out from right. from platforms, right? Yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, so so neat. So you've been at VMware how many years did you say About there? Seven years. Now. Seven, yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's a it's a good career run. Um, you live in the Bay Area, work yeah. in the Bay Area. Yeah. Nice. Right. All right. Right. So we you get you get the you get the get the nice weather we've been having. Um, 
Well, good. So now you're, you're, you're here, you're spending time in the app space, right? Uh, and, you know, we've been doing co VMware code, right, code events. Um, and it, it's interesting because the, the, the industry is focused on that now. So you, you come up from a practitioner uh, where you just had to worry about managing compute resources and virtualizing compute to virtualizing storage to virtualizing network. So now really climbing up that stack to just the app. And now the app starts virtualizing. And, and, and really it's like where you start looking at the topic of today, which is service mesh, right, where, where you're really just picking apart the app and the app is just floating in, on a, a service layer, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe you should just introdu introduce us because uh, we've had, you, you've done a, you did a, a PowerShell session in, in US. Are you going to do a PowerShell session in Europe yeah. or uh, on Service Mesh? Uh, and I think a lot of people don't even know what it is, right, when you're talking admin. So why don't you take us, take us into the top level of what is Service Mesh really? What does that look like? So I think Service Mesh is generally, you know, if you ask 10 people, they'll give you like 10 different definitions, but it's mostly commonly around uh, the, the idea that, you know, when modern applications or cloud-native applications, right, when they run on uh, a platform like Kubernetes or any other container orchestration system, mm -hmm. um, these container orchestration systems call different parts of, of application services, essentially. And the whole idea is if you're running a complete during an application within by Kubernetes, um, you end up having microservices or basically a deconstructed application. And when you run a deconstructed application, it's easier to manage, update, you know, patch, things like that. But then it again brings around a new set of problems, like you know, um, what's going on within these different services? How do I make sure that you know? They are supposed to talk to each other or not supposed to talk to each other and things like that. So the concept of a service mesh is when you have an application that's deconstructed into multiple microservices, how do I make sure that um, I have a control plane that kind of understands what's going on uh, within these different services? How do I get observability? Um, how do I push policies across these microservices? And so managing a microservices uh, with observability, with policies, with access control is essentially managing a service. Interesting. Yeah, so it's funny because I come from Sun Microsystems and uh, back in the, I don't know, I, I date myself, maybe it was 91 when I went to uh -huh. Sun, uh, the big thing was uh, Doe, I think it was Doe, distributed objects everywhere, right? Okay. And, and, and what they, what they, and in, in a real sense, it's the same. It's the same uh, attack at this, right? Which, um, and I looked at VMware when, when, when Sun was playing with a kind of virtualization, right? Um, they tried to do it at the app, at the, at the app layer, right? And we had app control, and we, we bought a couple of companies to try to try to manage the app. And VMware came in and, and didn't do that, right? So while Sun was trying to manage the app components, right? Uh, VMware came in and went, no, no, no. We just virtualized the whole the whole machine, right? Um, and so, and 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 that was more successful because it was it was it was you could do it, 
right? Um, where when you start trying to build, you know, apps and 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 Doe, which is distributed objects everywhere, back in the Sundays in '91, you know, the, the the problem was the orchestration, right? Trying to keep track of everything and make it all work, right? Where you're trying to to, to build, uh, you know, a a, a a management framework to manage all the things and then you know the the contracts between the objects right you have yeah. to you know have to have stability between the interfaces right and uh, and eventually i think it didn't work because it was just hard it was just too hard to do right so now inter you know we virtualized everything we virtualized the whole data plane now we come up the stack and we attempt to do it again right yeah. which is yeah, I think that that was more like a top-down approach, and we right. took a bottom-up approach. Right. Both were needed. Somewhere, you know, the the challenge is if you if you just have a distributed app architecture, how do you ensure that your infrastructure is moving at that pace, or they're scaling at that pace, or it's handling constructs that you know, like for example, um, with Kubernetes or even any other orchestration system, right? It has become uh, it has made infrastructure. Um, a lot more fluid. I think virtualization helped a lot. Like, you know, I don't have to worry about uh, setting up a new application. Right? Right, right. So it helped there, but then once I get into my application area, what do I do with, like, you know, um, what if I want to create a load balancer, right? Just to balance my application workload. Right. And it didn't yeah. really tie it yeah, back. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, that this is now where both these realms are trying. Yeah, come together, right? Yeah, I think you're right in the sense that a lot of the policy and management strategies we've built for managing your SCDC layer is are now in place, and and we we kind of know how to do this, and so coming up that stack and going, okay, now we can manage app components in this same yeah. same way is is reasonable. So when we start looking at um, you know a service mesh, then it really is almost like a, a management strategy and management framework uh, model who is producing what in this space right like so, how are people doing this today yeah the service measure actually that's what that is and uh, honestly there are a lot of open source projects that attempt to address a service mesh um, Istio being the most popular out of them um, uh, this uh, Istio was founded with Google and IBM actually was one of the uh, founders for right. Istio, right. and, uh, and it's I-S-T-I-O. I-S-T-I-O. Yes. I-S-T-I-O. Yeah. I-S-T-I-O. It just had a release right. 1.03 like a couple of days ago. Um, it's pretty early itself. Okay, um, right. Um, but that's one of the more prominent um, solutions that you hear out there. Um, Istio in general works with another open source project called Envoy. Envoy is essentially like you can think about it as a data plane versus if you get and what's going on with Envoy. That sits right next to your application. Listening to everything happening and reporting it. And then if you, because it understands what's going on, it will push. Okay. And there, right. there are other projects as well, like Ambassador and um, Onway was started by Lyft at some point, um, and now it's completely 
um, it's under the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, which is under the Linux Foundation. So uh, there are a bunch of open source projects around that. Um, uh, from a commercial point of view, I think Google uh, Kubernetes engine has started offering STO as our service mesh. They announced it during Google Next. Um, so that's the only offer right now. Again, it's completely based. Right. Oh. We're getting uh we're getting audio cutting in and out. Um, I'm not sure why. Yeah, it's good for yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're just checking here. Uh, yeah. Sounds good here. We're on Wi-Fi, guest Wi-Fi. Don't know. Corey, are you hearing us? And are we cutting in and out? Uh, really, the sporadically, it, it, it does. It's not really a big issue, though. I mean, it's 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 really low. It's fine. Okay. I don't know. Hmm. We're getting it in our headphones a little bit, a little bit of that. But I think that's just headphone jack issue, right? Where we get one ear next ear depth jack issue. You're getting fine on. Uh, all right. Well, we'll keep going and see if it gets better. Sometime Wi-Fi plays games. Maybe I can, uh, let me see if I can. All right, I might have, I might solve the problem here. Yes, I have Wavefront open. Uh, and I, you know, might have been, I might have had just too many tabs open on my Mac. Let's see if this helps. All right. All right. We'll keep going. Uh, let's see if that. Yeah, I'm getting odd headphone stuff, but that. Either. Okay, Graham. We'll see if we got better for you. All right. Where were we? Oh yeah. <laughs> right. So a question I had for you on that, right? Which is. What does VMware's play in this now, right? Because obviously we have a Kubernetes engine, we have a couple different, we have Pivotal, we have ourselves, we have a web service on Amazon, uh, it's KDE. Uh, wh what is our play in the management stack as we as we go up this? Obviously, you mentioned that IBM has a play. Uh, what are what are we doing when it comes to this space? Yeah, so I think there are two different ways VMware's have addressing, uh, right? So one is definitely all our core offerings like PKS or VKE that are on Kubernetes. Um, every product or a service within cloud native applications from VMware is, uh, the fundamental thinking is we need to provide Kubernetes that is completely conformant or it's mostly ecosystem or you know native to what you would get if you just pulled Kubernetes off of the open source project. Right. And with that, uh, that's very important because uh, when when somebody goes and takes STO today and they deploy it in a Kubernetes cluster created by PKS or with VKE, right. you know they get that same ecosystem experience. So it's really trying from a VMware perspective. That's really trying to give you a vanilla K8 right. as much as possible. So, right. but at least at the same time secure, uh, so that you could just deploy STO on that. Uh, and Istio really doesn't 
see um, the underlying infrastructure elements. So it doesn't matter whether it's running on AWS, whether it's running yeah. on vSphere. It really talks to the Kubernetes API. Yeah, as long so, as you have API contract yeah. stability, then you yeah. should, it just should be a vanilla yep. Kubernetes yep. interface. And the other thing I think VMware is trying to do is we're we contributing back to the open source project itself. So we have engineering within VMware that's focused on making Istio projects better. Uh, we have customers that work on Istio and uh, I would like to deploy Istio and they have use cases and if we see that you know, there's anything that uh, we need to improve on as an open source project itself, then we have uh, engineering focused on that as well. So, okay, that's, that's, that's a solid answer, right? Uh, which is uh, we're, we're in the business of providing some open source components back to that. We're also here to propagate the, our, our Kubernetes uh, solutions on top of the entire stack, which actually you know, can run on uh, cloud native. Yeah. Uh, sorry, it, it runs on vSphere infrastructure, can run on AWS, et cetera. So I've got that. Um, climb me up a little bit. You know, I've, I, I know Google, uh, some of the guys like Netflix and uh, now, you know, uh, Lyft or Uber, some of these big high-tech, super high-tech firms, yeah, it's nice. Those are all Silicon Valley, grade A, well-funded. They, they can build whatever they want. If they want to glue a CPU together and make their own motherboard like Google does, right, put them in racks and then, you know, build a framework. But when we're talking about we step back to enterprise IT now, right, and enterprise solutions, do you see some of the, you know, the standard enterprise people starting to look at building their apps this way, right? I mean, how, how popular is this? I get it's popular in Silicon yeah. Valley proper, right? Yeah. But how, do you see this starting to bleed its way out into enterprise applications? Yeah, I think enterprise applications, they are slow uh, in terms of um, going to this new approach of distributed architecture. Um, so um, you, you do see, you know, people, there's a general sense that, you know, people understand the value of all these newer way of developing applications and architecting applications using the cloud native formats. Um, but definitely, you know, enterprises applications have been here since years and they have, you know, businesses running on, on them. Uh, but at the same time, people do see or feel a need to move to a faster, you know, model where you could apply changes easily. And some of the people that least we interact with, what they're trying to do is not necessarily completely go in on this, but they're taking pieces of their app that are easy to port to this kind of architecture. Um, so compared to a Lyft or an Uber or a Google, you might not see a complete 100% in on that architecture. Right. But uh, what folks do is, for example, they will take their front end, uh, which is really you know a Java app or something like that. And right. That's much more easier. First of all, I mean, even when you before you get to service meshes, right? You need to understand that service meshes really apply when you have containerized your application already. Right. And even right. once yeah. you have containerized, you really then are working with uh, orchestration to orchestrate your yeah. containers. So right. it's it's a it's a it's multiple steps of approach. So, but. At least that's one area where we see people like, you know, they are containerizing their existing JBoss applications right. and then they're moving them to containers. And once they have it over there, 
definitely they're thinking, okay, now what? You know, because this is a natural issue. Like, you know, once you run into your containers or containerized applications, this is something that's naturally like, okay, now I have, you know, it's very, it's very similar to what virtual machines did. Like, you know, you definitely gave a lot more advantage to operations, but once you have like 50 or 100 virtual machines running on different ESXi hosts, you're, in, you're certainly thinking, oh my God, you know, I need a vCenter to manage all this. Otherwise, right. I don't know what's going to happen. So this is going to be a natural, you know, phase where once people start moving into containers or containerizing their applications, they'll see this happening, right? Now I, I need to take care. And I think service mesh really helps. Um, so one thing is definitely it helps you manage your um, traffic between these different services. But the other thing that service mesh does is it also helps you kind of um, manipulate, if I may say, the traffic coming in. Like I can say 50% traffic should go to this data center versus, you know, 50% to that one. Or I can say, okay, geographically, you know, you know, if it's coming from the US, push it to this data center. If it's coming from UK, push it to that data center. Or it could be user based, right? If a specific user logs in, 5% of that user base should be pushed to this web page, right? So um, I'm suddenly like looking at Amazon.com and I'm thinking, oh, those reviews are not really looking the same if you log in, right? Right, so, right. So yeah, uh, I, from an enterprise perspective, yeah, um, definitely it's not going to be like a very, um, very hands-on. I think it's going to right. be a time bound. It, it will it's right. really be a slow process. Right. Yeah, I think that the, you know, to, to even contribute to this dialogue on, on you know, is it going to end up in the enterprise uh, as, uh, on, on the chat? Somebody's like, does anyone know any K8s or Docker in real enterprises, et cetera? Um, and what I would say there is, yeah, what we saw, I know a year or two ago when I was in some sales meetings, right, and we were talking about, you know, like sales opportunities, ELAs, where are we going, what's our threats? Um, there was definitely customer uh, use cases where we were in competitive deals, right, where they were like multi-million dollar ELA yeah. deals where, you know, customers were, yeah, they, they weren't doing it today, so you don't see it in IT practitioner land. Yeah. Um, if you're coming in every day and you're working with your director of IT and you're, you're managing your VMs, all that, you're not going to be probably be in those discussions that the, the, the CIOs and CTOs were coming into VMware having dialogue around you know next generation infrastructure where they were looking at another you know you know ten million dollar deal for and they were considering new ways to build their apps and the you know CTO CIOs were in those conversations talking about where they were going so less about you know what they were maintaining and what what they were operating today and more about big purchases and big bets to for their you know direction for IT technology as well as developer technology and application technology and that's where you start to see you know containers being relevant right in those conversations and how are they managing their next generation frameworks for that that do this and so you're right i haven't seen it in the wild deployed other than yeah. in some of the, the the top tier silicon valley type companies but there were definitely some big names in those deal assessments that were having the dialogue to determine where they wanted to get and understood you what, where they you know that this was going to impact them. Yeah, so um, I think um, there are definitely enterprises, but it's it's really a cultural thing, right? It all of right. this boils down to culture, like how 
where the enterprise users are in their adoption of containers or whether even they think about it or uh, whether they want to modernize or change right. or move to this more agile you know moment uh, but definitely we do see that like you know at VMworld US and Sanjay Poonin was talking to some of the customers that were already running PKS right so Bank of Jamaica for example that they have been a long-term VMware customer and now they're starting to use PKS um, so yes um, you, you do see fragments and pieces but definitely um, from where VMware customer base comes in it's really it's, it's going to be a while before we move Full force and all this. Right, right. Um, so you mentioned IBM as big players in the open source work on the service mesh management framework, mm -hmm. right? Which seems like it's mostly open source, right? Yeah. Um, between Kubernetes, which is open source, and then you have companies like us who jump in and and deliver a a managed service or a you know or software that you can install yeah. and that we do support, just like Red Hat or others do, where you take the open source projects and you release that. So we're there on Kubernetes. Uh, IBM sounds like they're around. Who else are big players in in the space? Definitely, I I mean, one thing is Google, IBM were the creators of Istio and Service Mesh to begin with, so right. they them, they themselves um, we are trying to get you know contributing back to the community as much as possible. Um, like Lyft has been a big proponent of Envoy, like every open source conference that you go to, and you know. Anything about cloud native, you'll definitely see Envoy and the presence over there. Netflix, Netflix OSS, that's right. been big. Yep. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's it's the big Silicon Valley software companies themselves that are pushing the tech, not the platform, not the the traditional Microsoft, IBM. You know, I, yeah. 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 It is actually the customers that are building these these native apps, right, uh, on top of Linux and on top of open source uh, solutions. Yeah, right? I think, and, and what the reason is, if you look, at, if you think about all these different companies like Lyft or Uber or Netflix or Google, they all have very, one thing that's common is they all run, you know, web scale front ends, right? Like if, I, if you go right. to Netflix today, it's worldwide people start using it. So, they definitely felt these common challenges to resolve some of these issues, and right. then there was large scale, very yeah. large scale, yeah. And they're, they're like, okay, um, you know, data definitely is a problem uh, even today. Like, how do you access data around the globe with you know bits and? But even before you get to data, you know, all these companies have these massive mobile cell phone users talking to their either front end or back end. Uh, going to Netflix.com, streaming videos and things like that. So they definitely, you know, felt the need uh, to develop something like this, a right. distributed architecture, and that's probably why. That's my theory: is like uh, these companies need to operate at that scale that their businesses are, you know, basically built around this model. Right. 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 Yeah, it, it is interesting that I, I don't completely fully understand the architecture um, and how you can manage traffic. You know, at the front end, in back into your services, right, and your service mesh, right, like how they're doing that management of traffic because you actually have to then get into load balancers or you yeah. know that that whole thing and manage that whole yeah. framework. So uh, interesting to learn a little bit more on how all the, how all that management framework plugs in and does that. But uh, yeah, that's so, for a whole other show, probably. But. Yeah, but but just like if I could summarize real quick, like so, I think that's where a lot of the um, uh, orchestration tools like Kubernetes come. 
when, for example, when you deploy an application container and you orchestrate that using Kubernetes, Kubernetes really has plugs to understand to the backend infrastructure. So, for example, if you deploy Kubernetes on vSphere and NSXT and you want to load balance a service, Kubernetes understands how to spin up a load balancer in NSXT. Right. Okay. Right. And then that. manage that, and then manage yeah. the, the traffic delivery. Yeah. yeah. So it, and and then when you talk about service mesh and Istio, really, um, Istio puts its in its own um, ingress gateway, which is essentially a load balancer type, uh, and um, it will push traffic to the different pods within Kubernetes from that, that point onward. But essentially, the point I'm trying to make is Kubernetes understands infrastructure elements, what is a load balancer, how to right. spin it up, and things right. like that. And that's what makes all of this much more easy. Right. Okay. That 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 yeah, that that would be the, the pieces that uh, yeah. I've never I've never spent time with, right? So interesting framework. Um, what is uh, what are you guys doing uh, in, in cloud? for next year I always uh, I, I look at the we have 10 minutes left top of the hour we did get a 10 minutes the late start so um, but if you're if you're looking at kind of what you guys are trying to do next year uh, what are some of your main objectives uh, with regard to uh, cloud native applications and getting people trained I mean I look at the code challenge I'll just give you an example we, we look at code and our whole objective to code uh, is to uh, bring the IT practitioner up to speed with kind of DevOps and automation and the vocabulary needed to work with you know the engineers that are actually looking at building out frameworks to consume compute resources in this different model. Uh, so our goal to code is just to educate people, right? Bring it up to speed. We're not trying to get people to move. We're we're just looking at here are all the things that we do. Here are all the terms and things. What do you guys look at? What are your objectives for next year when it comes to where you're trying to uh, do do with your products that that kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, I think. Um from what I see, talking with different product managers and you know the folks at CNA, um, the, the, we definitely feel like there's a need to kind of, you know, there, there are questions with our current customer base, like, okay, you know, even if I have to get started, which, where, is that, where, where can I start, right? Mm -hmm. And um, we, we are trying to address that in multiple ways. You know, we have workshops running, we have like a roadshow going on around the globe that help, you know, existing customers on how to onboard with all of this. We have a lot of blog articles, white papers that we kind of describe, like, you know, why do you need this? Like, if you just Google, like, Kubernetes for, in five minutes, you'll right. see a great YouTube video by Steve Segler and around that. And um, the other thing is, uh, from a, uh, we are also trying to build an ecosystem. If you look at, for example, VMware Code, for example, right, a lot of the uh, community around today is focused on really SDKs with VMware products and then how can you... Um, you know, automate a task using them, right? And what we're trying to do is push some common code where, you know, if, for example, you know, uh, for example, somebody wants to run an elastic search engine, uh, which is like the Google for on-prem right. uh, uh, with containers, how do you do that? So we kind of have a small, you know, manuscript around that and we'll try to push it to code. Um, so uh, right. that, that's the kind of things that we are trying so to do. So it's kind of education at the app building level, right? How do, how do I get involved? Where do I start? Yeah. It reminds me of the, you know, uh, we built, I forget what the site was called, but it was basically teaching you how to virtualize in the enterprise, yeah. right? Back in the day in 2007 when I came here, we spent 
a lot of time just kind of taking people through the journey, right? Yeah. And what are the what are the stages to virtualization? Where are you in stage one? Where are you in stage two? So it's kind of like the same kind of thing for building cloud native apps, right? Yeah. Is that that how to get how to begin the learning process, understand the value prop, and then what would you do at the beginning of the of of this yeah. maturity stage? What are the second stage? What are the third stage for that for yeah. that journey? Yeah. And yeah. and I mean, um, so there was the first time I think. For in this year's VM, what we did this workshop, which was more like a five-hour thing, where okay, you you don't understand Kubernetes, you don't understand containers, you have no idea what that is, and how do you at least understand that? And you know, we went through like people, 200 users actually, they were logged in, they connected to VKE, uh, they were pushing applications in Kubernetes, and it, it's all online. If you even GitHub, you know, search for that, right. you find it. But um, we are running the same thing in EU, um, and I think one of the things that we saw in there is there's a there's you know it was the workshop was ran um, it ran a repeat session on Thursday in VMworld US, and it was the last day of the show, and it was probably the last hour of the show. But there were still people there, and you know there was the need to understand this was so high, and we felt like you know maybe we should do a lot more of that, right? Right. Um, so that's what we are trying to target next is making sure that we kind of run these kind of sessions more often versus just doing VM world. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know that we do the meetups, uh, and 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 it is a constant uh, topic that uh, we try to touch base with. So yeah, and it, and it, it, I think it is coming. I think that uh, more and more as apps are built, maybe you know, we'll see you know twenty thirty percent of workloads start to shift into this model, right? Um, and then, and then if we start to talking about where it runs and AWS and our service versus on-prem and how do you connect these, and does the does uh, the, the management frameworks care where the stuff is running? Right? Can it be hybrid? Uh, does does the stuff work from a hybrid perspective? Yeah, yeah. So that's the that's the good thing about this, right? The abstraction layers are so high about infrastructure right. that it doesn't really matter. In fact, it's for example that. If it's Envoy, it doesn't even really matter whether what platform is orchestrating your containers, whether it's Kubernetes or Mesos or something else, right? So yeah, um, yeah. The, the the best thing about all of this is we are so far away from infrastructure that um, very transparent, right? So that's uh, yeah, just reminds me of open source Linux, the whole stack, the whole the whole thing migrating up into the virtualization layer, and now uh, at the app, you know, it's going to be all virtualized at the app layer and Kubernetes. I've heard Kubernetes is the you know the default way now; it has become the the default way. Popular, and yeah. now we're basically starting to determine what the what the mesh manager is, right? Which is really really just it's like a manager of your 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 services. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, service mesh. There you go. Service mesh management. Um, and you're going to VMworld. You have uh, what? Uh, you have a a code session uh, at VMworld Europe that you're doing. Yeah. Uh, it's also out on I think code.vmworld.com because the one we did in US we videotaped, live streamed it, and it's out there. So if you're interested in seeing her session, you can go to uh, the Code YouTube channel, and we have that up there, and you can watch the whole session, or you can come to VMworld Europe and uh, and hang out and. Uh, Stand because I think we got standing room mostly. I think uh, there are a couple sessions that have some uh, some space left, uh, and uh, there's always seats because people don't show up. So come by the code booth. We are in the 
the village, which is in the main reg area, if you were there last year, uh, same place. We're going to be same place. It's a great place to be. Uh, should be fun. Uh, come by and uh, see Bosky and uh, say hello. Sell it. Tell her you heard it on the podcast, and you get a, a special free gift. <laughs> yeah, we have recorded. That's fun. A handshake. Yeah. Tell her at the hackathon. You'll get one extra point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you'll be at the hackathon on Monday night, so that should be fun. Uh, buses are included. Uh, food is included. Food is included, and. Uh, and it's a it's an a awesome going to be a nice venue, so yep, should be there. And uh, keep 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 writing code and uh, and learning. It's a, it's actually exciting. I like it all. And uh, and for those of you who think that I have a new Mac, I don't. I'm still running on a 2012 MacBook Pro, 13 inch with a CD-ROM drive in it uh, because I refused to upgrade. But I might upgrade. I'm just addressing Graham on the, the chat. <laughs> yeah, uh, they they still are the best. Although with dark mode now and the new machines I, I might give a i might i might upgrade you never know uh it's it's fun to have you busky in the room and uh we'll, we'll be in europe together so can't wait to be there again and 48 hours as, as always cloud native is uh, on the edge and i know people ask me why are we talking about cloud native when all i'm doing running is vSphere and the answer is because um I don't need to do a podcast on vSphere. You guys all know all about it already. So, uh, but it's fun to get the the cool things that are changing our perspectives uh, and changing who VMware is slowly over time. And that's important to do because we got to stay on the edge. So, thanks for coming and thanks for doing Thank this. You. Thanks yeah. for being thanks being for out there working on it. So, with that, uh, with that, any anybody have anything you want to share with regards to barbecue? Uh, I am making pumpkin seeds tonight, so I carved uh, pumpkins. Ooh. We got our Halloween uh, ears on today, out on the on the live stream, and uh, we are going to. I will do some bump uh, some barbecue pumpkin seeds. If you've never made pumpkin seeds, just put them on a tray, wash them good, and uh, put them on a tray. Put some salt on them, and then uh, just put some olive oil on them. Put them in a cookie sheet. Put them in the oven. Cook them for like 15 minutes until they go golden brown. Uh, maybe I'll put some barbecue sauce on it for you just so I can say I did it. Happy Halloween, everybody. And uh, we will be in Europe. Uh, we're going to try to do uh, record a podcast there. We won't be live because of the time zone change, uh, but we will try to record a podcast, do some interviews, and let everybody know how it's going and uh, yeah, there you go. So we'll be there. And uh, if you're thinking about, uh, you should come to AWS reInvent if you can get a cheap ticket to Vegas. If you're in the US, uh, come by, say hello. We'll be hanging out there as well. Get a free cup of coffee. And uh, if you're not gonna do anything, you can just make some cool Raspberry Pi uh, sensor stuff that uploads yeah. the data. And maybe we'll get uh, a Kubernetes engine to manage some of it too. I, I didn't right. get a chance to do that in your yeah, doing that. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a lot of fun. Having having a good time with it, and uh, Bill Roth with Rayfront, the data visualization. I got my I got that up and running now. That's pretty cool. So we'll see everybody there. And uh, until then, uh, have a great week. Thank Bye. You. Bye. <laughs> All right. Now we just have to get uh, talk to you to say goodbye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.